Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at rarekindoffaith.com. It's so fun to come to something like this because I haven't been in this location before, and I'm seeing blasts from my past that I... And when was the last time we saw each other? It's been at least 25, 25 years. And here we are. What's funny about this is how many of you have heard me talk about all those seminars I went to, over 100 seminars? <laughs> she was doing it with me. <laughs> she was there. She thought, good time. <laughs> So when we had this idea to put this together tonight, I've kind of gotten into this place where my life is so busy that I don't have a whole lot of time to sit and plan exactly how things are going to be at different stuff. So when we had this opportunity, I I thought I need to come up with a name for this. Well, Disappointments, Marriage, and Miracles, right? Because that sums up the last 10 years. You know, if I could share what we've learned in the last 10 years, I would be just just something like, oh, I conveyed that. Um, why I say the last 10 years. Actually, let me back up a little bit. So in the year 2000, we had already been going to seminars for a good 10 years, eight, eight years, trying to figure out how to fix the stress that we were under, how to pay the bills, how to be a stay-at-home mom while we're raising a family when we couldn't hardly afford to live on both of our incomes. We were starving students and started our family early, and part of the problem is that we had we had some friends that invited us to go to these events that were helping people learn how to have positive thinking, how to build a business, how to build you know their personal development. And there's some good and bad about that. Let me tell you what the good is. The good is it shows you what's possible. Because people get up there and they talk about their life, they talk about their experiences, they talk about their breakthroughs, and you think, oh, man, if I could just figure out how to do what they did or have what they have, um, then, then I'll be happy. And the bad thing about those events is that you find out what's possible. <laughs> and uh, I remember my mom being kind of frustrated with this whole seminar circuit thing that I was going to because... It kept me dreaming big and having these really, really high expectations of what life is supposed to look like for me. Because if it's possible, why not for me? And yet, because we were having such a hard time figuring out how to make it happen for us, it was like, don't show me what's possible if I can't have it. And it put me into a depression. But we kept going because at each one of these events, we would get some kind of a nugget of truth that would help us, like, oh, that's what we did wrong last month. Let's try it this way. And we'd get excited, and for two weeks, we would be going after the dream and trying to make things happen, and after two weeks of things going worse or just nothing changing or everybody else succeeding and we're not, it was just too much evidence in front of our face to keep us believing, and we'd be like, I guess it doesn't work for us. And so we would hit this crash. We'd crash. So we'd go to an event, we'd get all hyped up for two weeks, and then we'd crash, and then we'd crawl on our knees when clinging 
to get to the next event. And so it was like addiction, <laughs> you know. It was like addiction, and in many ways, I think we were. We we spent a lot of money on seminars, and there is a video that I I don't have time to share everything that's in the video, but make sure you go see it. If you go to my blog at rarefaith.org, my blog is rarefaith.org. At the very bottom is a little section called Freebies, and it's the video down there. It's called the Visual Aid that changed everything. And what that is is after we'd been going to these events for seven years and like really are we going to spend our grocery money again to pay for an event where we get all hyped up and go home and nothing changes and you know they would say dream big picture what you want if you do what we've done you'll get what we have and yeah, I believe it I believe it but what what's going on why isn't this working finally there was an event and this one was in Ogden actually at the D event center the year 2000, and they brought in a guest speaker by the name of Bob Proctor. And this event, there were, were you at that event? That's, why weren't you at that event? <laughs> I jumped off the band like a little fear. <laughs> it was frustrating, wasn't it? I mean, the events were awesome, but it was really frustrating. Anyway, part of it was because there was so much time spent on how to contact, how to speak to the prospect, how to sell the product, how to da 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 And every once in a while, we hear a story of how these miracles happen. No, no, no. We hear a story that a miracle happens. See the difference? And it would be like, I know there's something to it. There's got to be something to this. I believe in faith. You know, I believe there's something to this. Uh, but we went to this event. Bob Proctor spoke. And actually, he came in January. And... Before that event, I told my husband, all right, honey, we can't afford this. He was making, I think, $10 an hour washing windows in Arizona, and I was not employed. And we had two kids. And this event was going to cost us a few hundred dollars, which we didn't have. But inside, I thought, it's got to be there. What if this is the one? What if this is the one? It's like gambling. So at this event, Bob Proctor is speaking, and I was kind of distracted. I was not listening. He was not the most entertaining speaker. He's just like Stephanie shared the scripture that he quoted. He, his first line out of his mouth was, "In the Mormon faith, there is a verse in their scriptures that says." And so he had my attention, and he she shared it. And I'm like, that's interesting. So actually, at the first one, I didn't pay much attention, but at the end of the event, everybody was in a buzz about what he had talked about. And I'm like, what did he say? And he just spent two hours developing this whole thing. And I was frustrated because every other presenter, I mean, there you've got Zig Ziglar, you've got Rudy Rudiger, you've got these big names and big exciting presentations and he just gets out there and he lays it out. He's like, these are the laws, you follow the laws, it gets blessings. And so I missed it the first time. Well, there's this buzz goes on and it kept going on. And usually these events are good for about two weeks, I learned, right? But when we were still hearing people talk about his presentation two months later, three months later, we're like, that was my last seminar and I missed it. <laughs> what did I miss? And interestingly enough, they actually invited him back again, which is something that this organization has never done, is invite somebody back, back to back, two events in a row. And not only did they give him two hours, they gave him like three days. Here, teach. 
teach everybody what everything that you can in these three days. And so this time we're like, we're going to be there, and I'm going to sit on the edge of my seat. We're going to be in the very front row that we can get to, and I'm ready with notes. My husband and I both. So as he's laying it out, we're taking notes, and we're taking it in. And about halfway through, I remember we turned to each other and we're like, that's all it is? Seven years. A hundred seminars. And he lays it out in a very matter-of-fact, frankly, boring way. <laughs> but it wasn't boring. I'm baited, right? And so I'm soaking it in. And we're like, that's all it is? What he shared that night is what is on that video that I just pointed you to. And that video is like an hour long. But we came home and did life just as we were doing before, but with a different awareness. And we tripled our income in three months. And what we'd been looking for and trying to figure out all those years finally came together and it finally made sense and this life went on and now we knew how to do it. So fast forward a few years and I have here the list of things that I want to make sure I touch on. Kind of an overview so you kind of know where I'm going with this. Portal to Genius is actually the sequel to The Jack Rabbit Factor. I'm going to tell you kind of how those came about. But in Portal to Genius, there's some things that happened in their story that I'm going to mention. But what I want to share tonight is what's happened with my husband and I in the 10 years since we released that book. Its anniversary is next summer. And what we've learned just in the last 10 years compared to what we learned that night with Bob Proctor is colossal to me. And what it's helped me do is understand the principles in a much more easily to explain way. Um, it, it helps me know when to use it and when not to use it. My goal for tonight is to kind of cover the last 10 years, which has not yet been in any of my podcasts, I don't think. Some of it has, a little bit, but here we go. So after we had our big breakthrough, and by the way, our tripling our income was not in that business that we were trying to build. In fact, it's kind of funny because part of the presentation helped me realize, well, wait a minute. You mean these principles can work outside of selling this product? (laughs) You're going going to these events and it's all about how you can make so much money selling this product. And we were sold. We were like, well, they've done it, so we'll figure it out. But when he brought it back to principles, we're like, I mean, we could apply these principles to something we actually enjoy. <laughs> there, that's kind of exciting. Well, what ended up happening is he ended up getting a job opportunity that was going to triple his income for a three-month contract. What would you do? But because we had set an intention for what we were trying to accomplish, And in response to setting that intention, this opportunity shows up, we had to look at it like, is this in connection with this? Did this show up because of what we just did? And because of what we learned from Bob, we're like, it is. We know this is it. And we both felt it. We both felt this anxiety rise up like three months. This income is guaranteed for three months. We know what to do with this anxiety. We know what it is. We know what it means. And we know why it's here, and it doesn't necessarily mean this is a bad thing. It just means it's changed. We're about to do something different. We're about to make a change that's going to get us closer to what we're trying to accomplish. 
So he took the leap and took the job. That three-month contract turned into two years, salary, position, and he ended up leaving it of his own choosing when he ended up taking a job closer to home. We had moved to California for a while, and we wanted to be back in Arizona. And so it led us, it led us to what we'd envisioned. At the time, it was a scary thing, but sometimes opportunities are scary. And uh, that video will help you know how to identify what that anxiety is and, and how to get through it. But And Genius Boot Camp is huge on that piece. Have you been? You're smiling like you. I'm Stephanie's sister. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, I have. All right. I said that, and she's like, <laughs> 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 you've been. All right. So after about six months of this breakthrough, and he still got this job, and we now had a savings building. We've never had a savings before, and we had $1,000 when we got married, which was very quickly eaten up in events. <laughs> so we got a message from Bob Proctor back in the day when it was physical letters in the mail, and he said, have you ever thought about teaching what you've learned? And I'm like, oh, I have to do this. changed our life so much, and I knew I still was raw with what we'd been through. I still remember how it felt to be so frustrated that you call the police on the kid who breaks your broom. You know what I mean? That's where my head was for a long, long time. And having worked multiple jobs and cleaning office buildings at night and finding food in the trash and being super excited about that. I mean, I remembered what that felt like and having kids ask you for something that you can't say yes to. Not that you're going to say yes to everything, even if you could, but just not be able to say yes, even if you wanted to. And I remembered that pain. So I went to his training, which at the time was like a $9,000 investment. Oh, look how much we have in savings. How did he know? You know? <laughs> Another funny story about him is I found out later, you know, I told him about the event that had changed everything for us. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because most of the time these organizations don't invite me back. Because after I come and present these principles, they have these huge exodus. <laughs> and he's like, they should be thanking me instead of mad at me because that's their dead wood. <laughs> Create a space for the people who, who should be there. And I'm like, that's really kind of funny. I was one of them, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so I trained to teach the programs with them. I did some seminars on my own for a while, but I had five kids at home, one on the way, and as awesome as this job was for my husband, it was two hours from home. You don't hear that, right? We needed the money. <laughs> we were we were desperate, but um, that two years, we ended up moving someplace where he could be close to home, so that worked out. But it was a it's a process, you know. You say triple my income in three months. It's all a process, and just understand that when people tell you those things. Uh, don't look at your life like, I didn't have a big breakthrough, I didn't have a big windfall. Did something awesome happen that day? You're on your way. It's all good. So taught these seminars for him for a while, and then I thought, this is just kind of hard. We were also buying real estate and fixing and flipping, and I just thought, I, it takes a lot of energy to put these events on, and I need to do this in another season of my life. And so I thought, but in order to sleep at night, I still need to get this out. I still need to share how this works. So I thought, I'll just write a book and let that be my seminar. And that's what the Jackerwood Factor became. And so things are going well. We invest in a bunch of real estate at the top of the market. And the recession hits. And it pulls the rug out from under us. 
And we're like, whoa, what just happened? This is not how things go for us, you know? And by this time, I've got two bestsellers, and I'm speaking again, and things are going well, but then this. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, we've learned how to turn bad things into good things. Using these principles, we'll turn these setbacks into something awesome, because there is one of the laws in Hidden Treasures that says, in the law of polarity, that it contained in every adversity is a seed of equal or greater benefit. Well, here's a big adversity. That means there's a huge benefit. Let's find it. And that was a really hard mentality to hang on to. We were very slow at failing. <laughs> we had a mentor a few years into this pain say, you've got to learn how to fail faster, meaning accept the failure. Don't keep trying to turn it into something good. Sometimes the benefit isn't making something profitable that is not going to be profitable. It's in learning the lessons, taking what you've learned, and hurrying up and creating again. And we were failing really slowly. By this time, before all that happened, my husband had quit his job to do this with me full time. And so it turned into, oh, now I have to teach these things. Now I have to put on events. Now I have to sell books. Now I have to do all this stuff to pay bills and big bills because we're trying to float real estate that's vacant and not selling. And I just remember having to come up with about $15,000 a month just to hold it together. And that's saying no to the kids. You know, that's saying no to going out to eat. That's living like we were living before, but with a big, much bigger nut to crack, you know. I'm like, we're way off worse than before all this happened. The difference was that we knew how we'd gotten out of it the first time, and we knew it worked. We were just kind of exhausted. So in the middle of all this, I'm thinking, you know, in the back of my head is like, what happens when you run out of money? What happens when your savings disappears? What are you going to do when you run out of credit? Because now we're robbing Peter to pay Paul. What are you going to do when that all falls apart? And all the while, I'm just trying to kick it out because I know I'm supposed to think positive. I've been teaching this, you know. This is now going on about eight years since our breakthrough. I'm still teaching this, number one, because I have to make some money. Um, but number two, I keep getting messages from people from all over the world saying you won't believe what your stuff has done in our life. And they're telling me all their success stories. I'm like, awesome for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so tired. I was so tired and discouraged and frustrated. And our marriage was under a lot of stress because now uh, we had actually hired Bob to be a personal mentor for a year kind of right before everything fell apart. And this is in 2006. We signed up for this year mentoring thing, which was a $100,000 ticket. But he had changed our life. If we were able to do what we were able to do for $9,000, what else can I learn from him for $100,000? <laughs> I found out that the more you pay for something, the more it's on you to make it work. Because he's like, Socrates. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We're going to be the guy that put his student under the water. <laughs> he's like, when you want me to teach you as bad as you want to air, I'll teach you. <laughs> <laughs> I like him now, but in the middle of that, I was like, I hate you. I'm going to digress. Can I take a tangent real quick? So during that year... There was one I put on an event. It was the biggest event I'd ever done. And at the end of it, I went home and felt like I'd been hit by a truck. It went. It was successful. 
It was profitable. Was, the feedback was great. And I went home and I could not understand why I was crying. I'm like, what is this? If anybody knows what this is, Bob would know. And so I sent him an email, big long email, explaining what had happened. I mean, we just paid him $100,000, right? And put out this whole email on everything that had happened. And I don't know why I feel this way. What's going on? What is this? What's going on? Never replied. I don't know. I'm like, anyway, he had this wall up and uh, couldn't get past it. There's a podcast, When a Mentor Fails You. Go listen to that one if you want the whole story. But long story short, six months later, we're having a, a, a conversation with him on the phone, and I finally got the gut to tell him how angry I was with him. And I'm like, I, you got to know, this is, you know, I, we just paid this money, and you wouldn't even answer my email. And he's like, if you have been mad at me for six months without saying something, you deserve to feel bad. Right. <laughs> anyway, so through all this, I'm wondering what are we going to do when we run out, when it's all gone. And we got to the point where we had $200 left in the bank, approximately, and $15,000 coming due within a couple weeks, and no paycheck in sight. And my husband, he was doing the business with me, so there was nothing. And we're like, what are we going to do? I mean, we'd run specials before. We'd generated income, but, but to keep up with that pace, we just didn't have a big enough reach to run that kind of money regularly. And so I said, honey, you know what? It's our anniversary this weekend. Could we just go out to dinner and for two hours pretend like everything's okay? Could we just pretend like everything's fine? We hadn't let ourselves go out to eat for I couldn't remember how long prior. And he's like, what the heck? <laughs> but that was kind of where we were at. Let's just go out and pretend like everything's okay for two hours. So we went out to dinner and actually paid someone else to make us food. It was glorious. And we're thinking, you know what? I have no idea how we're going to get through this week. I have no idea how we're going to get through this month. You think we'll have it figured out in 10 years? Oh, yeah, we'll have it figured out in 10 years. All right, then let's think about what we'll be doing in 10 years because that's where I want my head to be right now. And so we're like, okay, well, how will these kids be? So-and-so will be this age and this age and what they'll be doing. And we started imagining what it's going to be like in 10 years when we've got it all figured out. Are we going to still be teaching this stuff? Yeah, because that's what we do. I mean, this is, this is important stuff to share. And even if we're living out of a car, this is what we'll be doing. And... So we're painting the dream. We're kind of getting excited about it. That's going to be awesome. And we're starting to feel it. We're starting to trick our subconscious mind into believing that we're actually there, you know, and living it. We're like, awesome. Well, that was fun. All right, let's go home and face reality again. <laughs> so we pay the bill, and we're going out to the car, and he's getting ready to open my door, and we hear this noise back to the restaurant. We look back, and it's the server. He comes running out after us, and he's waving his papers like, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute. And we're like, what's going on? And we're thinking, did it decline? <laughs> and, uh, he's like, the manager says that because it's your anniversary, the meal's on us. And we just looked at each other and we're like, we weren't surprised, but we were amazed that what we had allowed ourselves to do still worked because it had been a while since we'd just let ourselves Enjoy the dream. Here's the thing. Here's a nugget. It can get kind of gummed up when you do it. And when I'm talking about it, I'm talking about see it, 
see it done, that goal you're wanting to achieve, what does it look like now that it's done? Think about it as if it's present tense. Put it on the screen of your mind and let yourself feel it. If you do those two things, then the actions you take next, the thoughts you have next, the things that you say to the person you meet next are going to be different than all of those things you would do and say had you not done it. On a subconscious level, you are now being guided to that reality. Where we get gummed up is if we visualize it and feel it and then wonder if we did something. I wonder if that worked. I wonder if I wonder if it was enough. I wonder if I wonder if I thought about it long enough. I wonder if I'm intense enough. I wonder if that felt enough for it to happen. That's where we kill it. Why it worked for us at that restaurant is because we didn't know we were doing anything. We weren't doing that on purpose to get a free meal. We just allowed ourselves to be in that energy. See the difference? And oh, there's so many stories I want to show you. We've seen this work when we've done it unconsciously. But once we were taught how it works and what to do, I found myself doing that sometimes. I wonder if I did it right. And so here is the work. The hard work is to see it, feel it, and then reject any doubt that you have. If you dare hold on to the belief that what you did just sends a pulse out into the world to start the unseen help, pulling things together so that the resources you need, the people that will help you, the ideas that you need, the genius-inspired answers to the problems you face are being provided for you. If, if you dare to hang on to that until the day you die, then you'll find that those things start showing up. And that may be a key that I've never verbalized before. Sometimes you have to set a date to a, a goal or an objective because there is a deadline. Sometimes you need that $300 by Tuesday. Sometimes you need that answer to how to respond to this distressed child on the fly. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can't just set it and hope that one day it'll happen and feel like that's going to have any effect. But some things, just be willing to believe beyond the deadline. Stephanie and that refund on her plane ticket came after they gave her the credit. Would you have ever thought that a refund was right behind it. Did you ever kill the seed by deciding that will never happen? I think in Stephanie's case, she hoped for the refund initially. She saw it. And what it means to see it means, oh my gosh, I just got a refund on that. And seeing yourself tell yourself maybe. It's living in that, wow. I've got this poster on my wall that says, I always believe that something wonderful is about to happen. But with Stephanie, even when she got the credit instead, I am quite certain she didn't say, oh, I guess I'm never going to get a refund. It just didn't have to be a decision one way or the other. She planted the seed and then let it go, was grateful for what showed up. There's another clue. Be grateful for what does show up. Because sometimes what you really wanted is on the other side of the gratitude. Okay, let's get back to my notes so I stay on track here. Oh, I've done one. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm ready. I'm ready. But one point I want to make about that restaurant moment, that taught me that 
these principles using, I call them the rare faith principles, because of something that Boyd K. Packer said, that there are two kinds of faith. One is a function of, oh gosh, I need to memorize this one, because I never have it on me. One operates ordinarily out of things that are scheduled to happen. I'm so watching this. But basically, two kinds of faith. One is about things that are expected to happen because they're scheduled. The sun will rise, it always does. You know, and we're used to relating ourselves to things that are about to happen because they always have. There is another kind of faith, rare indeed. It is the kind of faith that causes things to happen. It is worthy and unyielding, and it has a great effect, and I, I can't remember what all it says. It's on my rarefaith.org website. You can go find the whole quote. But I distinguish it from the law of attraction, which you've probably heard about. It's the same thing, but with, with a responsibility. Number one, I have applied the principles in many things that I wish I hadn't asked for. Be careful what you pray for because you might get it. They work for good things. They work for bad things. They work for anything. Because it's not, I used to think that if I, if I was just good, I would prosper. If I was just obedient to the spiritual commandments that I had been raised with, that I would prosper. And I couldn't figure out why I'm trying so hard to be a good serving person and we are struggling so much financially. Because those blessings, it's not connected. Do you know nefarious people who prosper? <laughs> that's not the fact. That's not the, it's not a function of being good. And so with rare faith, it is applying these principles to accomplish your life's mission. If you need a bazillion dollars to accomplish your life's mission, you can use these principles to obtain a bazillion dollars. If you don't need them, then why waste your energy? And what I learned from that restaurant moment is that it's not about the windfall. You know, it's attention getting for me to say, oh, triple their income in two months or whatever. It's marketing, right? Because I want the message to have a chance. But it's not about the windfalls. It's about having what you need when you need it. That restaurant moment was to teach me that I don't need to make $400 today. Our meal was covered. That's all we needed in that moment. And that is an exercise of faith, to trust that you'll have what you need as you need it. Ooh, that can be a scary thing. Well, I'll only be at peace if I've got X amount of money in the bank. Well, when that's gone, you know, like us, I'm okay as long as we have some money in the bank. Well, God showed me. You're fine even if that's gone. It's like manna from heaven, right? So it's not necessarily about the windfall. If you need a windfall, it can be for the windfall. But sometimes we think we need more than we really do need. And that comes back to gratitude again. Being appreciative for what you have right now. Do you have air to breathe? Do you have food to eat? Do you have a roof over your head? Even if you don't have food in the house, do you have food in your belly from at least yesterday? <laughs> you know, learning to trust and be grateful for the little things. So at the time that we were really under a lot of stress and some of the things that I learned during those 10 years, uh, the, I want to say that before the restaurant moments, 
we were in the middle of distress and trying to figure out what to do, and, and one of our mentors is helping us learn that the money thing feels better if you're in your soul's purpose. If your goals are in alignment with your purpose, then these work a whole lot better. It's a whole lot more easy to believe that you're going to have what you need if you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. They can work for other things, but part of the reason we were in the recession mess is because I had used the principles to get more homes than we should have qualified for. I used the principles to soften hearts that they would accept our loans on multiple properties all at once. That's the worst time ever. And it worked because we were using the principles. We saw it, we believed, and it happened. And I'm like, dang it. Wish that hadn't happened, right? But our mentor, we're having this conversation with him, and both my husband and this mentor said, Leslie, you need to write a sequel to The Jackrabbit Factor that explains what we've been learning since about sole purpose and about not needing the windfall and, and whatnot. And I thought, yeah, I know. I just don't want to spend two years again to put a book out. I'm already stressed. And I'm like, if I could go to my mom's and just get a download and type it out in a couple weeks, I could do that. And so they're like, great, we'll support you in that. My husband, I'll, I'll handle the family while you go to your mom's. She'll feed you. You know, <laughs> you just knock it out. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going with the intention of having this thing done. And about Thursday of the second week, I hit a block. And I'm like, there's nothing. I have no idea how this is going to end. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I mean, it was pretty good getting some of it going, but I don't know where this is going. Jackrabbit Factor, I knew the ending before I started, but this one was a different experience. And the words came into my head that said, you can't finish it because you haven't lived it yet. I'm like, awesome. Okay, <laughs> here we go. And I called my husband, like, honey, i got to put this away. Something's coming. He's like, great. <laughs> so um, I came home, and I put it away, and... We're just kind of watching, not sure what to expect, if it's going to be a good thing or a hard thing. I don't know, but I've got my radar up to see what else has to be in this book that we haven't lived yet. And it was the restaurant moment when we had that, oh, my gosh, it was just a reminder that it's these little things. It doesn't have to be the big things, which is such a small thing that it was huge for us. And I said, all right, I know how to end this now. And finished up the book, but at that month when we came home from the restaurant thing, yeah, we got to face reality. Who's wondering, well, what'd you do? Nobody's wondering. You're wondering. I've wondered for a while. Like, what? Like, right? At least. We came home, and we're sitting down with our mentor again, who was Garrett Gunderson, who was my co-author of Portal to Genius, and we're brainstorming, and we know that in order for this brainstorm to be productive, we need to first do what? Who's been paying attention? Visualize. Visualize what? The result. So what does life look like on the other side of meeting our obligations? Like what are we doing? How does that feel? So we start brainstorming, imagining, dreaming, and trying to get in that energy again. Because like a radio, if I had a radio here in the room and I wanted to hear classical and the radio is just sitting here. Oh, turn it on. Let's turn it on. And maybe it's static. I can turn the dial and raise, I don't know, I don't know how it works, but I'm raising the frequency or something, the receptor, so that it tunes into a broadcast. Well, maybe it tunes into country music. That's not what I wanted. 
How do I change it? I turn the dial a little farther and it brings it up to classical. Well, that's what we're doing with our life when we do this. Everything is vibrating on a molecular level. And this is in Hidden Treasures, the law of vibration. I am, my molecules are bumping around, vibrating. This chair, as hard as it seems, on a molecular level, has atoms and molecules bumping around. Now, I don't know, I've never seen that under a microscope. And I'm sure scientists have, or if they haven't, it's a model that explains why things behave the way they do, and it works, and I'm good with that. You don't have to understand it. But I am vibrating at a certain level, at a certain frequency, to kind of help you understand what this is talking about, a feeling, when I feel a certain way, it's just a conscious awareness of a particular vibration. Feeling is nothing more than a conscious awareness of a particular vibration. And so I am like a radio. I am vibrating at a level that if I am feeling fearful or worried or stressed or anxious and I'm letting myself stay there, I am on a vibratory station, if you will, of a broadcast in the room that I am tuned into that gives me thoughts and ideas that help support that vibration. You're right, you shouldn't be stressed. Did you know this is down the road too? And did you know that this is falling apart? And, da, 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 da. and it's all these reminders of everything being right where I am because I'm on that vibration. But when I allow myself to picture something different and let myself feel that instead, I am turning the dial up to a different frequency, and I am vibrating differently, and I am picking up on a different, whole different level of thought. That's where genius ideas come from. There's genius boot camp in a nutshell. What we do at boot camp. And so we're there with this mentor. We're talking about we know we've got to raise our vibration. And we're up here in this expectant, okay, we're going to figure this out. How are we going to get from here to there? And uh, we're seeing it, we're, we're imagining it, and I said, you know, now that I can finish this book, because I know what needs to be in it, I just, I don't know, without going to my mom's again, and, and Garrett said, well, I have a cabin, why don't you just go to the cabin and knock it out? Now that you know how to end it, just go knock it out, I can give you the cabin for free. And I'm like, that'd be great, but that's kind of creepy, I don't know if I want to be at a cabin by myself for a week, and I'm not seeing movies. <laughs> and my husband, now that we're up here in this place, my husband says, why don't you reach out to your subscribers and see if anybody else is writing a book that would like to go with you? Why don't you sell a ticket? <laughs> do a book writing retreat. I'm like, I could totally do that. I have so much to share. I could help someone with two bestsellers, you know and I know the ropes, and I know how this works, and to spend a week with someone else who's also writing a book, it sounds dreamy. And so did that, and ended up, dude, you were at one of my boot camps. Now you know why I did a boot camp. Yeah, well, the book retreat, no, I knew. I, well, I, you kind of knew. Anyway. You never put it, you never, like, said this is exactly where it happened, but I kind of yeah. put it together listening to all your stories Yeah. on your podcast. So it, the first one was just a one-on-one with somebody. I did another one that was a one-on-one with somebody. Then we ended up doing a group retreat, which you were at. And that month, that month we brought in $43,000 with an idea. The solution to every problem is only an idea away. And the idea you need is already in this room. And I don't mean that because someone in the room has your idea, it might be, but like classical music already in this room, right? Is there classical music in this room? 
Does the radio suck classical music into the room, or does it just make audible what's already here? Yes. Yeah. Very reactive audience. So the solution to every problem is only an idea away. The idea you need is already in this room, just like classical music is in this room. And the way you get that idea is by seeing it done, feeling it, you're turning your dial, you're raising your vibration, and that's where inspired ideas come from. And so if you are a religious person, one way I've seen this is this is something you can do right away. If you were like me, I would pray for help. I'd be desperate. Please help us. We are in such a bad place. Things are horrible. This is wrong. That's wrong. Save us. What am I picturing? I'm picturing the disaster we're in. How am I feeling? Desperate, angry, frustrated, sad, worried. I'm on this vibration down here. I'm on this frequency. And not that God doesn't want to help me, but there is a law connected to every blessing. And this one required faith seeing it, feeling it, and then the actions that we take to be in harmony with the thoughts and the feelings. And so when I figured this out and I started testing this in my prayers, instead of looking at the disaster that's going to happen at the end of the month if something doesn't change while I'm begging for help and mercy, I tried it this way. I imagined what it would be like to say, oh my gosh, he just helped us. It just helped us. Imagine how that's going to feel, to be in awe, remembering how it felt, the awe that we felt at the restaurant. Once you feel it for real, sometimes it's easier to create it as a memory and just project it forward into the now, but you can also create it even if you've never felt it before. You can imagine it. And so, oh gosh, it just helped me. Thank you for helping me. You know, sometimes the prayers are just gratitude for help before it's happened. That's seeing it, that's feeling it, that's being in the right place for the idea that says, go call so-and-so. And sometimes those ideas that come to you are unconscious. You don't realize that maybe that came from a little broadcast that you are now tuned into. I think about one of the stories of Hidden Treasures that I tell us when we were first learning this. I really, really was trying to create a home environment. And this one room needed a headboard to fulfill the vision I had for it. But the kind of headboard I wanted was probably going to cost several hundred dollars. It was big and chunky and wooden. And um, we didn't have that to spend. And so I just imagined it and kind of got excited about the thought of it. And then put it away and just went about my life. Well, one day I am driving into town and I come to an intersection, and the way this worked, there was a, a goalie that it had to go through, and you could either go this way or this way, and they both met up at the other side, and it was fixes which way you go. I usually went straight because it was less effort than turning the corner. But <laughs> that day, I thought it said go left. So I went left, and I come down the hill, and I'm up, and out to the side of the road was this big, giant, chunky wooden headboard out for the trash and a footboard. I pull over, and I'm like, doing out here. I ran to the door, I knocked on the door, I'm like, are you getting rid of that? She goes, yeah. And I think she was probably worried that it was too big for the trash. And I'm like, could I have it? She's like, sure. And I threw my arms around her. I was like, oh, this is amazing. 
And, and it wasn't because I was just so excited about a chunky headboard, but what it taught me was that this works. It works. Try it on something little that doesn't have emotional history and trauma around it. <laughs> so in other words, maybe don't try it the first time on paying this giant bill that's due tomorrow, even though that might be the most urgent thing on your way home tonight. Try it on spotting a jackrabbit in the road. I don't know. Do you have jackrabbits up here? Doesn't matter. Let <laughs> me ask you, I hear this so often. Raise your hand if you've ever seen the jackrabbit. What I mean by that is I'll get emails from people saying, I was studying this stuff, and I was out, and I was working on things, and then a jackrabbit just showed up right in front of me. And they take it as a sign. <laughs> They're on the right track. And I'm like, it happens so often, it's not even amazing anymore, but um, <laughs> and it's not like they're looking for a sign, and this isn't about looking for signs. This is about learning a skill that is a God-given skill that we were born with. We were born with this skill. Come here, Stephanie. <laughs> I want you to tell me about your grandson. Oh, my gosh. Okay. He's three. He's three. <laughs> My grandson, he he believes everything. He knows that these things work as much as a three-year-old can. And so he has his own little vision board, and he puts up, you know, like big boy underwear, and it's really cool. It's <laughs> My daughter sent me this little video of him, and here he is, and his little, it's an ugly little vision board. So he's looking at it, and he's saying, I want you, and I want you now. And he's a really mellow child. So it's like, okay. And then all of a sudden you watch him, and he's like this. And he's got this scooter that he wants. So I, I had to call my kids. I'm like, you've got to see this. So I showed him, and my youngest son, he goes, well, he can have my scooter. I'm like, you don't have a scooter. And he goes, yeah, my cousin gave it to me, and we don't we live like on the road. You know, he goes, you can't do it anywhere because he can have mine. So then my grandson came to visit a couple of days later, and he said, Hiram ran back, grabbed it, brought it to him, and he goes, Mommy, is that my vision board scooter? When <laughs> <laughs> they were at the store and saw one, of course, he said, is that my vision board scooter? She's like, nope. <laughs> the difference between a kid like that and us is what? How many of you have been hurt? How many of you have had disappointment? I'm the only one. I'm in the wrong crowd. No, like for me, I had had those seven years of trying and failing, seven years of disappointment, and then the recession and all of that. We've seen and experienced pain, and so it hurts when it doesn't work. And we, we want to avoid the pain. And so we're afraid to dream. We're afraid to try, because what if it doesn't work? Am I just going to be disappointed again? Hi. And Hi. <laughs> How long are we going? Oh, don't stop there. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unbeated. Yeah. What was I saying? What was I talking about? Uh, you free, said hi. Free to dream. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've done two now. Out of count. Twenty. How did you get over that 
that Finn Burns, Finn Burns, Finn Burns, and Bird tried over and over again, failed over and over again. How well, did you what hear what I'm saying out? about how it happens? Mm -hmm. How if you see it and feel it, you're changing your vibration to be on a frequency where you are now operating on inspired thoughts rather than thoughts that keep you where you're at. And so with the recession, I'll just jump ahead. It's okay. So after the recession, we needed to heal because that was such a huge blow and it was so stressful on our marriage. And <laughs> when we had signed up for Bob Proctor's year program before the recession, we were so excited to do this. We're committed. We're going to make this pay and it's going to be awesome. And it started in February and shortly into it, I find out I'm pregnant. This concludes part one of Marriage Disappointments and Miracles. Please join me for part two at rarefaith.org. This concludes today's episode of the Rare Faith Podcast. You've been listening to Leslie Householder, author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. All three books can be downloaded free at a rarekindoffaith.com. So tell your friends and join Leslie again next time as she goes even deeper into the principles that will help you change your life.